Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help us build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Incahunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay. And we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, you. Hey, Dr. Robin. How are you? I'm good. It's week three. It's week three. Are we going to do this every week? It it appears that we are. Yeah, I think we should. It's week three and we're back. We're back. We're actually pulling this off. Much to the surprise of, I'm sure, a few of you. Um, But look, we're not surprised. We got this. Yeah. We're badasses. We don't need, we don't need no permission. We got this. We know what the hell we're doing. I mean, we did have to make an upgrade and you did just have to like teach me everything about my machinery. That did not sound good, but yes, I did have to instruct you on how to allow your microphone to be in a different position. Yes. I'm not folks in the world. I'm not teaching Dr. Robin anything about their machinery. <laughs> let's just, let's just be real clear here. Okay. Well, what are we doing today? Um, I don't know. We should talk about some things going on in the world. Yeah. Um, But let's first start with what's breaking your heart. Um, I am heartbroken over the fact that JLo didn't get an Emmy nod. Oh. (laughs) Really? I mean, well, yeah, it made me sad. I think she deserved it. For what? For what? I mean, did she, did J-Lo do something that I missed? Yes. You haven't seen that amazing movie that the Hustler, amazing women- Hustler? Yeah. I, yeah. You know what? I didn't get to see that yet. Huh. Well, she got SAG nomination. She got a um, Golden Globe nomination, but they completely screwed her over for an Oscar. And I call bullshit on that. Just saying. Do you think that's about misogyny, sexism? What is that about? I don't know. I think they don't value her as a triple threat. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Man, folks are learning things about us. Right. What's breaking your heart? Oh, gosh. I just feel like there's so much going on in the world. Um, I feel like what's breaking my heart right now is... Is that the Titans lost and they're not going to the Super Bowl? That's right. They're not going to the Super Bowl. They deserve to not be going to the Super Bowl. Y'all, like, tweet me all you want. But my team, the Saints, deserve to be going to the Super Bowl. And once again, we got screwed in the playoffs. I should also say that I don't watch football year-round. Like I know, which is why this conversation <laughs> is so funny. Like, Robin will text me when I'm watching, like, a hockey game or a football game, or or they'll they'll interrogate me on what I'm doing at a certain moment in the evening, and I'll say, oh, like, I'm watching hockey with my husband, and they'll say, oh, that's interesting. I should turn that on and watch it. Uh, I'm, like, and- I'm trying to do what normal people do. <laughs> because- <laughs> like, I'm normal. 
Well, I, I mean, I don't do what normal people do. Like, I don't watch TV. You know, like, I read and I write and I'm a nerd. Yes. And a grandpa. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be more in tune with society these days. It's 2020. I appreciate that. New, new year, new me. <laughs> new year, same you, because you are trying to be involved and trying to be interesting. And yet every time we want to have a conversation about it, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, that's true. That's, that's real true. So. But it makes me happy that you're interested in the things I'm happy uh, I'm happy about. Yeah. I mean, I want to participate in your life. We're kin after all. I know. We are. And yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. But as an FYI, the Titans deserve to lose. Yes. I mean, not really that the Chiefs deserve to win. I mean, I guess they did because they did win. But look, I'm over football. I was over the day the Saints lost. I've moved on to hockey. Which it's I all watched all day it. now for me. I watched that Saints game when I was in upstate New York. I know you did. I mean, I watched I it for like did. 10 minutes and then I took a two hour siesta and then yes. I opened my computer and I watched the last 10 minutes. That's how I, I watch football. Do. I know. I know. And then you only texted me during the parts where I didn't want to be talked to because I was so anxious and so anxiety ridden. And you're like, Hey, 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 like poking the bear. And I'm like, look, like, I don't want to hear what you have to say about this. Like, I can't talk to you about this right now because I'm really emotional. This is how close we are. This we have, we, we have these conversations. Look, this is life, y'all. This is, this is the way it is. And the longer y'all are on this ride with us, hopefully, hopefully we won't drag you into a ton of rabbit holes, but sometimes it's just going to happen. So that's what's breaking my heart is that the, you yeah. know, I just, I want something good for Nashville and, no, I get it. um, and they like their sports teams and, you know, it's interesting like to rally around something common. Right. Yeah, even though it's, you know, based on misogyny and, and you know, nationalism. A, a nationalism in a sport that's, you know, that only allows, you know, men to be engaged and that is extremely homophobic. And and yet I am in love with it. Like, yeah. it's very problematic for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah. problematic. And, and for me, it's like I'm watching the Roman games, you know, and I'm right. like, this is... Why, why, why am I doing this? But, you yeah. know. When does the tiger come out and eat somebody? Exactly. Which brings us to our topic of the day. Yes. Which is? Violence. Hmm. Violence. Mm, violence. We have a lot to say about that. We do have a lot to a say A lot's about happening that. in the world. I mean, a lot of violent things are happening in the world. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's overwhelming. Last weekend, you sent me an article fairly early on Saturday morning, um, mm. about the group of people 60 miles from you in Chattanooga, the base, which is a translation of Al Qaeda. I, I learned later the base, a violent extremist group arrested. Right. 60 right. Miles from so you. in in preparation for the uh, march in Richmond, Virginia, that happened, which we'll we'll talk about in a little while. The, you know, there's a lot of folks that were trying to get ready to go to Richmond and be a part of this uh, conversation or this public outcry about some of the gun regulations that the Virginia 
um, state house is trying to put into, into place. And several months ago, an FBI informant infiltrated a group in North Georgia called The Base, who were plotting to do some really horrible things. I mean, they were charged with conspiracy in connection with vandalism of a synagogue. Um, and as a part of these nationwide series of attacks on minority-owned properties, um, but they also were involved in a supremacist plan to overthrow the government and to kill a married couple near where they live who have high prof- profile roles in Antifa. And I mean, this, this, you know, agent kind of infiltrated this base in, in Georgia and you know, was able to kind of get these guys kind of taken off the streets before something really ugly happened. But look, you and I both know these are not the only group of people that are doing this work in the world. Right. Right. And there are, and not the only time, not the only time that things like, I mean, I would call this domestic terrorism. Correct. Not, not the only time something like that has happened. I mean, I mean, I'm reminded of our time in Charlottesville. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, our time in Charlottesville changed. Well, it changed our relationship. It changed our relationship. It did. It radically changed our relationship. It, it also radically changed my life. Um, I am, I often look at, you know, August 12th as, a day where many things changed for me and my perspective of kind of what this world is all about and, and quite frankly, what I believe my role in it is supposed to be. So many of y'all know that we both were in Charlottesville and when I was there, I found myself to be quite surprised at the number of neo-Nazis and alt-right people that were present and from being surrounded in a church and being locked down in a church and and not able to leave to being lunged at by neo-Nazis and then evacuated I really you know I really found myself to be at a loss of how to eliminate violence in this country a lot happened that day. Heather hired what was uh, murdered, uh, run over by a car. Um, our hotel was compromised uh, that day. That um, well, a lot was happening, and you know, I find myself living in the shadows of this violence when I hear of things like the base and other violent extremist groups um, being found out and whatnot. But the thing about Charlottesville taught me is that we we really have got to um, figure out how to be human with one another because violence isn't going to solve that problem. And the fighting that I saw right in front of my face as I was holding public witness and the ways in which people engaged one another 
was just really, there was no human connection. And I think the thing that I take away from Charlottesville is that we've lost that fundamental core piece of connection, which I think is about the heart. I mean, I don't think anything about hate comes from the heart. And when I look at my time in Charlottesville, when I look at um, all all the hate that was displayed and how unsafe I felt and how scared I felt at times, I really think that the fundamental thing that was missing was this heart space. And it, if you know, if, if we can figure out the heart space, maybe we can do something about violence. I was asked to come to Charlottesville as a part of a group of faith leaders who were going to hold public witness on the day that we knew the alt-right and neo-Nazis were going to be coming to town. They're fighting over a statue, for God's sake. I mean, how monolithic and nationalist can it get, right? Um, I answered the call as a faith leader to go and be a part of this work, not really knowing what I would be asked to do or how I would be asked to engage. After going through nonviolent resistance training and learning the ways in which I should or shouldn't interact with both the neo-Nazis and the police officers and militia in some instances that were there. I arrived back in Charlottesville that morning, Saturday morning, August 12th, to attend a church service at six o'clock in the morning. Uh, There are very few things that say, Let's prepare for a day of who knows what than getting together in a church to try and worship a God that you are asking to protect you in, in ways that you hope will actually happen. I remember at that church service that there were definitely, there was a definite feeling of uncertainty. And when the service was over and we were asked, those of us who were going to hold public witness were asked to stick around. We were told that some information had come in overnight that led the organizers to believe that there was a very high possibility of violence specifically imposed on those of us that would be marching to the statue and that it was in their their recommendation to us was that we not go that they had other ways in which they would give us to engage they needed help at hospitals they needed help at the jails they wanted folks uh, stationed outside the churches that were in close proximity to give out water and pray with people who wanted us a space within a church to come and and be away from the fray. And there were about 40 of us, 45 of us who 
acknowledged what was being told to us, but also recognized that there was a real need for faithful public witness by those of us who are clergy and faith leaders in the world to go to the statue and be a part of the work that we had said we had agreed to be a part of. And so I marched with these folks. Robin had texted me saying, I I can't let you go. I can't let you do this. Uh, It's going to be violent. And I, as in other days, didn't listen to what they said. (laughs) And yet, as I stood holding the line arm in arm, linked like a chain to other leaders of faith, having these neo-Nazis and white supremacists walk past me inches from my face, shouting at me, spitting on me, asking me to recite Bible passages and to name the books of the Bible in order because they didn't believe that we were faith leaders. They believed that we were just dressed up in Halloween costumes and, and there to make a spectacle. I was reminded that violence is not just a part of what we deal with every day, but violence is a part of the history of the faith that I claim. And as a Christian, many could argue that the Christian faith's complicity in violence is a foregone conclusion, that we have been a violent people from the beginning, we have been a violent people before the days of Jesus. There's a recognition that our desire to remain monotheistic gives us a an understanding that there's a universal truth to our need to hold on to the power of one true God and that that has inflicted violence around the world. And as I stood on the streets of Charlottesville, really this the most afraid I've ever been in my entire life. I had to question both what God it was that called me to be a part of this work, as well as how I would then take the experience of being in the midst of that back into the world after August 12th was said and done. And I think that I came out of that experience with a very different understanding of who I intend to be as a person of nonviolent resistance, that my work of resistance will never, ever be over. But that if I am ever to be someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, I need to do so in nonviolent ways at every turn and with every breath that I take. 
It's a powerful story. So is yours. I mean, we, God, what we experienced that day was unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I remember you saying to me that you were watching me from your, your place on the corner. And, and I didn't know that until, until everything was said and done, but that, that day changed a lot for us. It changed us individually, but it also really changed how we related to one another. Yeah. I mean, I kept my eyes on you, um, that entire time because I thought, um, I can't let my kin go down like this. And, um, until, until the neo-Nazis lunged in my direction and Antifa absorbed that violence that we think were, was intended for me and Tracy Blackman, um, that were standing there, you know, and until that happened and we were evacuated into a pen with state police and then concrete began being lodged at us. Um, I kept my eyes on you and, you know, I just thought this, this is really where I, I learned that you walk the talk. I mean, people always say that's cliche, but you were serious about this and, yeah, it did change a lot for us. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm grateful that we have that experience and that we share that experience, but also wish we hadn't had to. <laughs> I would, yeah, I wish it could have come in some other way. Right. Why couldn't we have gotten to know each other, you know, like on a cruise ship? Oh, wait, we did that too. But that was long yeah, after we that. did that. We did that. Um, but yeah, this, you know, this concept of violence is really, I mean, it's right in the front of our faces right now, correct? You know, we mm-hmm. we spoke a little bit about this at the beginning of the episode, but, you know, last week in Virginia, there was a major um, presence at the Virginia State Capitol by folks who are are trying to get the point of their point across in whatever place they fall in the discussion around gun rights. And the Virginia legislature is interested in passing what I think you and I would call logical safety precautions that, you know, you can't um, buy more than one gun at at a certain time that um, you can't, you know, have, have assault weapons that if you are deemed to be unsafe or, um, you know, diagnosed with a, a mental illness that your guns are temporarily taken away. Yeah. Things that, things that the majority of the country has already said they believe should be the way that we pass gun right le- legislation. Right. Right. And yet, Hundreds of, I mean, you know, there's estimates that there were 30,000 people. There's estimates that there were 100,000 people. Regardless, even if there were 30,000 people, that's a lot of people to come to a state house and issue a public statement and hold witness on whatever side it was that they that that they believe in. And, And many of the folks that were there were gun rights. Advocates, many were militia, many 
feel as if their rights are being violated every single time we talk about mm-hmm. gun control. But there was a really high chance of violence occurring in Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Again. Again. So much so that the governor declared a state of emergency. Right. Right. And wouldn't let people bring, and wouldn't let even gun owners bring, you know, concealed weapons for which they have a permit on, on the state grounds. Right. You know, I wonder why do we even, I mean, the second amendment was written during a time when people needed to arm themselves, but we don't, we don't have that need right now. And so why is there, why is there even this discussion? But of course I'm on one side of this issue, whereas other people are on a different side, but it seems that people are using the second amendment to fight for the first amendment and they don't want to, they don't want to be folks who are in favor of bearing arms, which is really about military, I think, and not about individuals possessing <clears throat> guns. Um, it seems to me that, um, it seems to me that we're just perpetuating, um, the myth or well, not the myth, but, but the reality that folks don't want to be controlled by the government, but then having access to weapons is a way of controlling society. I mean, we are all controlled by this fear and anxiety that there's going to be another mass shooting. Right. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have children, but I have nieces who I love desperately. And, you know, every time there's an active shooter drill or, you know, one of them says, we have to be mindful of things around us when we're at our school, I, wilt a little inside. It, yeah. It's so painful for me to hear that. It 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 just this it's just not the way it should be. Well, I, I mean I know that you and I are a few years apart, but you know, kids these days are growing up with I mean, I remember doing tornado drills, not active shooter drills. Right. And so the anxiety that the the social anxiety that kids have to live with these days is remarkable compared to when you and I were kids and in, in schools. Um, and I worry about that. I worry about what we're doing to our children and the type of fear and anxiety they're, they're being, that they're internalizing and how that will impact them and how that's going to impact their performance at school. And also, you know, um, people of color, um, watching how folks of color are treated by police and, and by the violence against police, the, the anxiety that they are internalizing too. Yeah. It's really scary. It's really scary. And, you know, lest we, lest we think that this became a, a, an issue or came to the forefront of, of discussion when Mike Brown was gunned down in St. Louis in Ferguson. I mean, shame on us. This has been happening for centuries. 
That's right. We, we became a country who acknowledged it because social media gave us the capacity to see things happening in real time. So I think a lot of us are grateful. Uh, We, we wouldn't be having the kinds of conversations around the ways that, that black people are shot in the streets. If it weren't for the fact that we had a, a better understanding of how things happen in real time Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, we we can't get our shit together to make a change. We can't figure out how to change the way that we believe uh, violence or the role that we believe violence should or should not play in our in our culture. Right. And, and at what point right. at what point does Christian nationalism pl- play into that? Mm-hmm. That's a great right. question. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we have this, this understanding of an identity that is sacred and that mm-hmm. is not to be, is not to be at all changed. And we refuse to let um, you know, the, the 10 commandments be taken down from our courthouses and, and we right. refuse, we refuse to separate our role as Christians with our nation's heritage. Mm-hmm. And at some point we have to recognize that the ways that these things conflict with one another, um, are contributing to a moral decline for us in the country. They are not lifting us. <laughs> They are drowning us. Right. And, and and at what point do we do we figure that out and, and try to do better? You know, I, I often say I never come out as a Christian because Christianity equals white supremacy and nationalism these days. And how how did how did that narrative become so violent? Um why 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 have Christians so easily given up their identity um, for it to be usurped by the right. I mean, I, I, I will, I will never understand that. But what I do know is that people have organized around values and, and people in this country and they don't care. I think whatever extreme they can go to secure these values that is one of the ways violence has risen up. So we look at like the violence against LGBT people. That is around values. Right. We don't, we don't value LGBT people. So it's okay that violence ensues. No, it's not. That is not okay. We should live in a country where people are safe, where black people can walk down the street and not be profiled that they're a thug or something. And LGBT people should be able to live freely in the world. That's not about necessarily being liberal. And those words break down anyways. It's the same coin, conservative and liberal. This is all rooted in the same logic. We need a new imagination for politics in this world, which is part of the reason why I think we're doing this this podcast. Right. I mean, it's, it's black folks, it's queer folks, it's Muslim women wearing a hijab and being identified as 
associated with terrorism. It's a, it's a never ending cycle of othering right. the people, the people in, in this world. And, and it is that othering that I think lends itself to an understanding that violence is okay or right. that violence is acceptable when it, when it is inflicted on folks that aren't like me. Right. Well, even the creation of the other is a violent act. Right. Right. We could spend hours talking about that. We could. We could. We don't, we don't have that time. We don't. But I, I just, but I just want to say that the fact that we've even created this notion of the other is a violent act. And that started during the transatlantic slave trade. Right. This, this othering where, where now the other is disproportionately marginalized and impacted by these systems. Um, and you know, the Christian tradition would call that sin, but we don't want to talk about sin. That's like taboo or something. Correct. It's not, it's a, it's a little less, uh, it's a little too real for Christian fundamentalists. It's a little too, uh, untouchable and untenable for Christian progressives. Um, right. There's, you know, there, there's very little in between there, but you know, right. I don't, I don't know. I struggle to figure out how we move from a, a country regardless of values, regardless mm. of faith values, how we move the, how we move the needle in this country to be people who are against violence in any form that it presents ourselves itself. I mean, hell, we, you know, we, we could be on the brink of war with Iran. Right. We, we could be on the brink of a civil war in this country if we continue to look at issues like gun rights and the, the ways in which this presidency is threatening to not go away. That is also right. I mean, and, and, and we have people around us. I mean, heck you and I have people in our, in our circles, in, in parts of our Venn diagram, um, people that touch us in, even in ancillary ways who would not be against that kind of, activity right happening in order right. for them to feel as if they could get closer to what they believe this country should be for them that's right and and that scares the shit out of me that scares the complete shit out of me i mean why why are we so fixated on violence and why do we think violence will fix our problems that's the thing that i don't understand i mean and I think it goes back to power and, and people are hungry for power. Um, and, and we've got to figure out how to, how to help people divest from being so power hungry. I, this conversation makes me sad, Robin. Yeah. Makes me sad. That's part of the work, right? Of getting our hands dirty. Right. Is, is, is the range of emotions. It's, it can't always be, um, 
high holy days and 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 celebrating right right getting our hands dirty is about the lament lamenting our reality and figuring out strategically how to eradicate the things that kill us you know the death bringing logic right and so what are in what space do we think it's best for our listeners to find themselves how should we as people who identify with the tenets of activist theology how do we counteract violence and oppression or and violence specifically since that's what we're talking about how do we counteract violence in our day to day how are we mindful of it how do we acknowledge that it's happening around us and then what do we do about it yeah what do we what 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 tidbits of knowledge from that big brain of yours can you give to folks well i mean i think in some part it starts hyper local how are you treating your friends how are you treating your family can you shift the way that you treat them to eradicate violence and you know th- this can range from a wide variety of things of like how you joke to how you mm-hmm. ask questions um how you joke and, that's a big that's a big thing right like I, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh the way we i mean i'm as guilty of this as anyone the sarcasm sure. i use is i am sarcastic all the time i answer almost every conversation or I, I am, I embed jokes and sarcasm in every conversation I have. And sometimes I leave that yeah. conversation and I say to myself, Oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. Yeah. I mean, thankfully yeah. the person that I was having the conversation with knows me and loves me and is in right. deep solidarity with me enough to know that I'm not that person. And yet, right. you know, were my words a violent act? Right. Right. So I just think small acts of anti-violence can grow into large acts of anti-violence and we've got to start hyper local. And if we don't start hyper local, we're never going to make systemic change. It's got to grow from the, from the ground up and, and we've got to keep at it. We've got to keep building the base of anti-violence from the ground up. So I know you're sad um, that, like, everything that brings up, but um, maybe sadness will be a motivator for you and for me and for those who are listening to get our hands dirty. It's so important. It's important for us to be mindful. It's important for us to start at a really micro level. Um, we are not going to be able to cure the propensity for violence even even in our communities that that is not that is not for us to do alone but if we start at a real micro level if we start with our own relationships if we start in our own circles and if we then gift that knowledge and that peace and that presence to others you know, hopefully there's a, a trickle down effect and there's an ability for others to say, Oh, right. Like this life of nonviolence is, is better for me. And I can right. still be someone who stands in the gap of, of 
activism and resistance and, and being a, a public theologian and, and trying to be someone who is a thorn in the side to others so that they recognize the harm that's being done in the world. But I do so in a way that is nonviolent and I do so that's in a right. way that, um, you know, emulates the kind of world that I want to live in. That's right. And remember, resisting the bullshit has got to be rooted in anti-violence, anti-violent tactics. Yeah. Um, when we resist to capitulate to what is happening in the world, we become a little bit closer to where we want to be and the kind of world we want to inhabit. Mm. That's a good place to stop. That's a good place well, to stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we did it. Well, it was a good conversation, man. Heavy, yeah. heavy and important and, but good. It was a good conversation. It's so good. friends, uh, that's it for episode three. We've made it three weeks in a row. We're starting a trend. You know, they say if you do anything for, you know, 10 times, you uh, have made it into a habit. So we're almost a third of the way there, Robin. Yeah, I thought it was 21 days, but, you know, whatever. Okay, well, I like 10 better because that's only a fifth of the year, not um, right. not two-fifths. Right. Not, not, right. Not, not two right. <laughs> anyway, um, friends, don't forget that if you want to support us, you can do so at activisttheology.com. Remember, activist and theology share a T. Uh, there's a link there that you can... Uh, See what work we're doing in the world. You can support this podcast through your monetary donations. You can follow both Robin and I on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We have public profiles on all of them, as well as following Activist Theology in all the places. And we'd really love to hear from you. So what are you thinking about this podcast? What's resonating with you? Where should we go next? Do you have any ideas? That's great. That's amazing. All right, right. friends. Good to to talk with you. It was good to talk to you, too. I'll see you next time. See you next week. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support the podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray, our friends. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. Hands dirty.